AVXL episode 184 was recorded on June 3rd, 2022. Moving your TV in wall subwoofers. Do not put your calibration mic there. And hey, are prices on electronics going to drop soon? All that and so much more. And hey, don't forget, please, if you got a question, email ask at avxl.com. And thank you. Seriously, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone that supports us at patreon.com slash avxl. Testing one, two, three. All right. I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Welcome to AV Excel, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear, no matter what your budget is. I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. How are you today, Mr. Heron? I'm pretty good, man. Well rested. I had an exhausting day yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> it involves some lawn work. Oh. Lawn work in the summer, perfect together. It looks good now. He said. It was oh a good goodness. workout. I was uh, kind of shocked. First of all, I went to sleep at a human hour last night. Second of all, there's a military clothing uh, manufacturer uh, that I, 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 I get their emails because they're incredibly surly. And uh, the emails are surly. They're wonderful. In any case... They noted that container costs have dropped fast, as in uh, they were paying 38 grand for a 40-foot container last month. This month, they're priced out at 16000 Now, as they pointed out in that, that newsletter, that's still four times what they were paying last summer or you know, a little bit earlier than that. But sixteen grand, four times as much, is way better than ten times as much. And having talked to a number of consumer electronics vendors about some major price hikes, a lot of those had to do with the insane cost of shipping when they were trying to bring stuff over here. So on the upside, for example, Emotiva had raised the price of their B1 Plus speakers up to like $300 a pair. We, we mentioned a few weeks ago they dropped them down to 250 a pair. Uh, I hope that this means either we're going to see fewer price hikes or we're going to see some prices going down from vendors that manufacture in China and other overseas places. So Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. You know, all of the TVs, for example, come from overseas. <laughs> or Mexico. <laughs> or Mexico. For North America, oh most goodness. of our TVs are actually manufactured in Mexico, which is the panels themselves generally are manufactured at the main facilities, and that could be in Asia. Right. But for the final assembly, at least here where, where I live, uh, they find it mm -hmm. quite the nice just to do it south of the border and bring them in that way. I did not know that. And now I knew it's, it's, it's exciting to learn new things. Robert and I were talking earlier this week. I had to transport a television to uh, an e-cycling center, recycling center, a 55-inch panel. And it was an interesting moment because I was in a rental car. And the only way to wedge this television into this rental car was with the back seats folded down. And, and instead of being a giant rectangle, there was kind of a, a cut inward um, right. I don't know how to describe it, but it was like bigger at the top, smaller at the bottom. And because this television was damaged, I did not care about it. But essentially, the television ended up being supported at two points around the middle of the monitor. And all I could think was, this is the worst way to move a television uh, ever. And I don't think about this too often because I own pickup trucks. And if I'm transporting a television, it goes vertically into pickup trucks. But people move. People move from apartments. People move things around the house. Um, moving your television sucks. 
if you don't have the original box. Let me just flat out say that. Now, most people buy a television and use it till it dies, and that's not an issue. But if you are the kind, if you are in the military, if you are a college student, if you are in an industry where you move frequently, um, if you're, you know, a renter and you're bouncing around from place to place, if you can keep that box, it will help you keep your television in one piece. Sure will. With a box, without a box, if at all possible. Keep your television vertical when you're transporting it. Do not lay it flat. If you have to lay it flat, make sure it's well-supported underneath. Put it on a blanket in the back of a van or an SUV. Not, say, wedged in the space between the back seat and the trunk like that that car I was describing. Totally. Um, At least you weren't applying pressure to the screen itself. That's the one thing (laughs) you really have to be careful of is any kind of pressure onto the face of the TV that can mess with the various layers in that display system Uh, with LCDs I'm thinking of in particular, and you could suddenly end up with some unevenness in the picture post move or scuffs. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. And Um. I think you were dealing with a 65 inch screen and that becomes even more difficult to try to do within a vehicle, a typical passenger car, say, I've had luck with 55-inch screens uh, vertically in the back seat like a passenger. Right. The only thing back there, uh, if in, in a careful drive to the new location, get it set up and everything can be great without a box even. Uh, it's yeah. more like, okay, well, you do that as a special project with nothing else in the car. <laughs> yeah. I mean, let me – and it's literally like the back seat really depends on the size of your car the, the back seat in my truck obviously i have the back of the truck so i need to the back but the back seat of my truck is is like a 1970s cadillac there's just all the space in the world back there but i literally saw somebody in a costco parking lot decide that god damn it they were going to transport that television in that car that day pulled it out of the box got it into the back seat got it in place and without thinking slammed the door oh man bent the frame cracked the screen <laughs> i mean like i heard an audible Oof. you know like i swear i heard the crack of the frame over the sound of the door being slammed shut time to um, test your warranty yeah do you know or the costco return policy but oh. the uh i mean dude was like literally in the costco parking lot it was horrifying but don't force televisions, don't force flat panels uh, into a space because the flat panel is probably going to lose. Um, Indeed. Oh, and if you can keep memory. it vertical uh, at all, that's the way to do it. Yeah. That's the safest. Yeah. And I am hesitant, even on a perfectly flat surface with proper padding, is to lay something face down. Yeah. There's a chance you could cause some abrasion on the screen surface just from the yeah. shaking around as it moves. I would be more inclined just to lay it on its back if you had to and you can't do it upright Uh, either way it's something you kind of have to be careful about and like you mentioned having that original packaging is probably the best case scenario but it's typically for a 55 let alone a 65 inch or larger tv that's a giant piece of packaging and it's difficult for a lot of people to be able to hang on to that somewhere without it just you know taking up a, <laughs> a queen size bed space somewhere in your well in your not quite that big no but you know <laughs> well so if you don't have the box and a lot of people don't which is perfectly reasonable um you still want vertical uh and you want to protect the screen 
one thing you could save if you're getting rid of the packaging for your television is the part that you know protects the screen if you don't have that u-haul actually makes a, a really highly reviewed foam flat screen tv cover you can get it at a u-haul shop you can buy it off of amazon.com that's a really good start what i usually do is i use something like that and then i put a great big piece of cardboard that's wider than the screen taped around the edges on that so it gives it some additional rigidity like ideally it would be the foam screen cover and and a cutout <laughs> from plywood um, because the the worst thing is if something shifts while you're moving and vibrates against the front of that screen it will either damage it or scuff it or rub a hole through it so, you know, some cardboard over some type of screen protection is a really good idea. And pack the screen in a way that something large and flat is protecting it. Um, you know what I mean? Put the screen protection on, put a piece of cardboard, wrap it in a blanket, and shove it between the mattress and the box spring, right? You yep. know, as long as that screen is protected and you don't have something shoving into one single point on the screen, it'll probably get through it uh, safely. And also make sure the, the moving blanket is clean. Uh, most of the time, moving blankets, you know, you buy one new, that's fine. Uh, if you get a package of 30 or whatever, when you rent a U-Haul or a Penske truck, just keep an eye on which ones every so often I open one and like 40 pounds of dirt falls out of the blanket. And the last thing you want is dirt falling out of your blanket, you know, and if you've got like AVRs or amplifiers or older speakers or whatever, and you don't have the boxes, um, wrapping them in a clean moving blanket, kind of like you're wrapping a package. And I usually totally. wrap some packing tape around that. Then you can stack them up, uh, you know, in one of the sturdier corners. Don't try not to stack things on top of them, but they hold up. Uh, I've moved stuff a couple thousand miles that way without issues. It was uh, so interesting. The moving service we used, we weren't going very far. We were moving about 20 minutes a couple months ago. And they actually had a stash of TV boxes because they oh, wow. knew they'd have encountered things like this before. In this case, because the distances weren't that great and it was mm -hmm. relatively easy and given the size of the screens we were dealing with, I think they were all 55 inches. That typically can sit in the back seat of a vehicle pretty safely, and especially if it's like you can do it as a one shot. Where it becomes right. difficult is if it's going to be out of your sight and in someone else's control. I think something like one of those, say, shipping containers where they can drop it off at your residence. Mm -hmm. You fill it up and then they take the container away and ship it wherever. And it's it's no longer in your control. And it's can be definitely jostled around internally. That's where having that original box or being very careful about how it's even placed within right. there to make sure it is not going to get crushed or pinched or uh, in any way, etc. Yeah, disturbed. Wedging things in place, um, or at least carefully stacking things, you know, with boxes around them to protect them. Um, it's tough uh, moving a television, especially, uh, you know, I've had the luxury of generally always having my eyes on how things were packed and moving it myself, but that's not always the way it works. So what's your line in the sand, Rob, for moving a TV versus, versus, you know, uh, selling or giving away or, or recycling your old TV? One is how old is the TV itself and how far are you moving in terms of like, what is the actual cost of moving this product? And if it's going right. to be something close to what a brand new TV could effectively, you could purchase with that money, that's where maybe it would be better just to simply sell that or leave it in place or give it away and then just simply deal with a brand new set. Think about a TV that might be five or seven years old that could be replaced with something that's significantly brighter and usually at a pretty good price that when I think of 65 inch TV screens, I think of that 
uh, 4K 6 Series from TCL, that's right. about twice as bright as the TVs I was dealing with, you know, 2015, 2016 or so. And that 65-inch mm-hmm. screen size is currently a 1000 bucks. No, that's not exactly cheap, but it is something to consider, especially if you were well, it's, thinking of upgrading. That might be the best right. time to do it and not deal with the, the possibility of damaging a product when you could sell it for maybe a, a good fraction of that cost. And yeah. if you wanted something similar, I'm specifically thinking about the TV you had. Uh, you could get something with about the same brightness nowadays for about in the five to six hundred dollar range at 65 inches. Right. And it will now include HDR and better processing and, you know, the apps are probably still updated and any of a number of things there. But I mean, it's crazy, right? Because if you think, "Ah, my TV is five or six years old, my parents kept their TVs for 11 years. Well, true. And look. The longer you use it, the more value you get out of it. The longer, you know, it, it, it's the, I, I get holding on to things for as long as you can. But, man, uh, this is one of those areas where the technology has advanced so much. It's going to be brighter. You're going to have HDR support. You might have Dolby Vision support, you know, HDR 10 plus. Like I mentioned before, vastly better processing, uh, updated apps. It's not a bad time to consider upgrading your television. Especially if you have somebody that can come by and pick up that set as is right then and there and give you a nice price for it. And it's still in perfect condition. It hasn't gone anywhere yet. (laughs) It hasn't taken the risk of being moved. Well, it's crazy, right? Because a $500 or $1,000 TV today will spank a $2,000, $2,500 TV from five years ago. This is true. This is true. Oh, my goodness. You know, while I was looking for that U-Haul... screen cover something came up that i'd never really seen before uh on amazon or anywhere else the Vizio max tv screen protector which is essentially a giant plastic um well screen protector <laughs> it's got a it's got a little u-shape at the top and it drapes down in front of your television and it's basically like a big piece of plexiglass or Lexan or something. And part of me looked at this and all I could think of, man, there's going to be so many glare issues on this because it's shiny plastic. On the other side, uh, as Rob pointed out, a lot of people that are looking at these or, or giving it, you know, it's 1,480 ratings, 4.5 out of 5. Like I can see if you have a television in a bar, if you have rambunctious children, if your kids hit the television screen, uh, you know, if Uncle Mike likes to throw his beer at the television, um, this would be well worth the money. And it's kind of crazy. They have them up to 80 inches from 19 or 20 inches all the way up through 80 inches. And that's the Vizomax TV screen protector. Um, not something I want on a TV in my house, but my kids are actually old enough now that I'm less worried about the survival of my uh, one LCD screen in the house that's not a computer screen. You know, my biggest challenge right now is my cat that's been chewing on the edges of my projection screen. Oh, man. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. He's climbing up the cloth covers on my speakers to get there, so... If you see me wearing a cat, a furry cat hat this winter, you'll know what happened. (laughs) That's hilarious. That is funny, though. It's the top reviews on that product are all related to children. And I will say, I've seen people destroy a TV with a motion controller for video games where it slips out of your hand and just goes flying right into the screen. And that's still a potential issue out there. So... If you have a prized possession, these screen protectors are about $200 or more, and so that's not cheap, but 
that can be it's a lot cheaper a lot than less a, expensive than a TV. TV that might cost twice or ten times as much. So, <laughs> oh, it's good to have options. Oh man! Hey, uh, Verge had an update on the Sonos Sub Mini. Uh, it's something they've been tracking closely. I feel like somebody at the Verge is a big Sonos fan um, because they found the FCC listings for the Sub Mini, and uh, nobody knows what the pricing is. Uh, the current Sonos Sub has some mass to it. It's like 750 bucks. Uh, we have no idea what the Sub Mini performance is going to be, but it looks like a big can of soup with a cutout in it, and uh, it looks like it will definitely be easier to fit in most homes. <laughs> so Nice. I think they need a good mini sub option just to help them compete a little more with some of the value products out there that do incorporate a subwoofer for some improvement in that low frequency response. But yeah. either way. Well, they're, yeah, well, I have one of their subs. It's a little boomy for my taste, but, you know, if you want to get your dance on or more importantly, if you want to hear the you want to really feel the crashes uh, while you're watching something on your home theater, it is uh, a nice upgrade. In other Sonos news, uh, Sonos voice control is supposed to be live as of June 1st. Uh, Sonos came up with their own voice assistant or system or whatever you want to call it. It's going to work on all their voice-capable speakers, none of which I have at my home, so I cannot test it. Rob, this one's all yours. Um, Amazon Music, Apple Music, Pandora, Deezer, Sonos Radio out of the box. Um, again, it's about music, not replacing Amazon's uh, ALEXA, Apple Siri, or Google Assistant. You may have noticed that list of services does not include Spotify, um, but apparently you'll still be able to pause, stop, track controls, or adjust volume on Spotify. Giancarlo Esposito, whose voice you may know from Ooh. The Mandalorian, Better Call Saul, or Breaking Bad. And Far Cry 6. for the service. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he plays the heavy. The man is a magnificent instrument. Um and apparently you can use A-L-E-X-A and Sonos Voice at the same time, but you cannot use Sonos Voice and uh, the other voice control services. Interesting. I typically yeah. turn those features off. I'm not a fan. <laughs> and I do appreciate the fact that Sonos makes it pretty easy just to tap a button or go into the app yeah. and disable that mic altogether. So if you don't actually want any of that... <laughs> You can go that route as well, but it's cool. I'm glad to see they have their own voice service at this point. Yeah. I don't know if it's necessary. I don't know. I'll be curious to, at some point I will find something in my house that is Sonos and has a microphone and see if I can try it on. It's a way for them to learn about their customers a little bit better. <laughs> More marketable data to sell. <laughs> um, we get to keep this data. Oh my goodness. Um, Monoprice has the new Monolith in-wall subwoofers, the uh, M-IW Sub-8, 8-inch in-wall subwoofer, and the M-IW Sub-82 dual 8-inch in-wall subwoofer. I don't think we've talked about in-wall subwoofers in approximately forever. And I was kind of shocked. Definitive has in-wall subs now. JBL, Polk, Monitor, Kef, Klipsch, Sonance, Elac. That was the list I could find with a short search. In-wall subs are essentially, they're designed to take advantage of the space, the cavities in between the studs in, in the, you know, typical house, right? Two by four studs, they create cavities in the wall. It's a big empty space. And you essentially bolt, you know, a subwoofer driver, a very thin one, 
or very shallow one, I should say, uh, into that space. Some of them are powered almost always by a remote amp. You run speaker cable to the sub, uh, you know, through the wall or on the ground and up into the wall. The ones that give the deepest, heaviest, loudest, lowest, low frequency response are going to be sealed, maybe ported boxes. Um, others are, a lot of them actually are designed for what is called an infinite baffle, i.e. you have the speaker in some sort of frame and it bolts, you know, over the empty space in the wall behind them. They're mostly all designed for standard 16 inch centers and framed walls. And, you know, some are designed so you can mount them over the sheetrock or under the sheetrock. All the ones with ported boxes are designed to be mounted under the sheetrock. And you're either going to have to remove the sheetrock and install it and fix the sheetrock or put them in when the house is new. Um, I think the first ones I ever saw were from JL Audio. And uh, their current Fathom in-wall system or IWS series are pretty crazy. They start with an 8-inch in-wall, 300-watt ported system. Then they double that. Uh, and it starts at like 28, 25. Uh, and there's a big massive box that gets placed in between the studs in your wall and then they go all the way up to single and dual 13.5 inch powered systems uh the msrp on the dual box and essentially it's, it's not two subwoofers in one box it's two separate boxes with each with their own subwoofer got it um those the crazy dual 13.5 inch powered system comes with its own 2000 watt rack mountable amp and the msrp on that is uh, a crisp nine thousand six hundred fifty dollars all of JL's home theater subwoofers are monstrous and not inexpensive. They reported like 26 hertz to 101 hertz, plus or minus 1.5 dB, uh, down 3 dB at 25 hertz. So uh, down like 10 dB at 22 hertz uh, for the single or dual 13s. Um, so these are anechoic measurements. There's no overall CEA 2010 style uh, decibel number. And you may also notice that for 9650, you probably could buy something uh, that goes louder and lower for a lot less money if it's a standalone subwoofer. And you could. <laughs> True. <laughs> but, you know, you can also, you know, a, some people cannot deal with the idea of having a big subwoofer box in the room. And, uh, if you have the money, this is one way to go. Um, so those monoprice uh, uh, M-IW subs, uh, the single 8-inch sub is 400 bucks. The dual 8-inch sub is 600 bucks, And the frequency response on those is listed at about 36 to 200 hertz, plus or minus 3 dB. And props to Monoprice for listing that plus or minus 3 dB number. Um, the dual 8s are going to give you about 6 dB more output over the single 8s. And, uh, you know, 36 might not sound low, but it's probably vastly lower than any bookshelf and a lot of stand uh, or uh, tower speakers will go. Um, but part of that is also when you create, you know, infinite baffle or, or open air subwoofers, it is enormously difficult to, to dig extremely into the 20s with subwoofer designs like that. These essentially have like little fold out anchor feet things that ring it all sides so that you cut the appropriate size hole in the wall. You slide this in, you rotate the feet, you tighten the screws and it tighten its, uh, tightens the subwoofer into the drywall, um, you know, whatever the drywall plywood whatever the wall is made out of so you know they're down like 15 db by 20 hertz but they are vastly easier to install than cutting open an entire cavity and putting in a gigantic box in that place and then you know getting the you know getting the the uh joint compound out or whatever you prefer yes. to use for repairing uh sheetrock um, I mean, that's a decent price, too, if you want that yeah. look where you have basically your speakers hidden. 
uh, or more hidden than they would be just sitting right. out on the yeah, out in the open. This is a good option. I would still if probably end up trending more toward a standalone sub, but hey, sure. uh, at least you have some options too if you want to just have it all in wall and out of sight. It's an aesthetic choice. You know, maybe maybe this is the only way you can get a subwoofer into the room or the only way you can get your family to let you get a subwoofer in the room. Right. It's funny. I mentioned like they're flat from 36 hertz to, well, you know, plus or minus 3 dB from 36 hertz to 200 hertz. Um, they have a built-in crossover. And if you move the jumpers to turn the crossover on, you get like another 3 dB from 40 to 90 hertz. And then it drops off from 100 hertz and up. That way you're not kind of booming up in the upper... Uh, on the upper uh frequencies thank you <laughs> like, it was just like the upper bass you don't boom out your upper bass um you will have to provide your own amp with these and the dual eights uh uh essentially they have the same crossover they're the same four ohm drivers and uh you know you can set those up to either be driven in parallel which gives you a two ohm load or you can use two amplifiers channels on that same basically one amplifier channel for each of the subwoofer drivers on that dual system very something cool. to think about gives you options if you you know if you cannot fit a standalone subwoofer in your room i will say a box subwoofer is usually easier and they will usually for the same amount of money get lower and louder um, because you have a custom designed enclosure and custom designed amplification to make your day easier or to make the speaker designers day easier. Everyone and needs a sub and yeah. you have options beyond just the big box <laughs> sitting on the floor. That should be on a t-shirt. Everyone needs a sub. <laughs> it's true. It helps. Oh my goodness. Hey, uh, we want to take a moment to thank our patrons. Patreon.com slash AVXL is the home of the people that support this show. And we really appreciate you. Uh, hopefully, uh, you got a chance to join our hangout. A few, a bunch of you got to join our last hangouts. Um, if you're in that $10 or $20 subscriber range and you are not seeing the announcements for this, do me a favor. Let me know. Either post on patreon.com slash AVXL or email ask at AVXL because uh, I want to make sure everybody's getting these notifications. For people who are like, it just showed up. I didn't know about it. Well, that's because what we do is we open it up to the, the $10 and $20 patrons and then after uh, if there isn't a lot of people or if there's no one hanging out, then we open it up to everyone that is a subscriber so you have an opportunity to do that uh to to join the hangout because um, oh, for example we had one person hanging out and then they had to go and we opened it up to the rest of our patrons um we usually don't kind of schedule that in advance but you will hear us talk about our upcoming hangouts in the show so if you aren't paying at that higher level you may get a chance to hang out but i can't guarantee you're going to see the announcement so just a quick heads up on that it was a fun group we had for this last session. It was session. a fun group. Yeah. Good questions, was, good comments, fun people. And as we continue to work our way through a list of longest-running patrons, George Antunes, Hudson 10, John Ramos, Kevin, John Berger, and Eric Schwartz have been subscribing since April and May of 2016, or our patrons since you know April and May 2016. And we want to give you our thanks for your continued support, because seriously... Our patrons make this show possible. Thank you. And hey, if you want to become a patron, patreon.com slash avxl. We look forward to seeing you there. 
We got an email from listener Bob about the Cottis T, a, uh, a, well, the world's first MagSafe iPhone headphone amp and DAC. And uh, listener Bob emails a bit spendy, he said, unnecessarily in a discussion about these things. But the mounting system is neat, and the wiring is a lot tidier than my Dragonfly setup. But if I got this, I could replace the Dragonfly that works better than my ears and my Eddie 4s, which also work better than my ears with a set of high-impedance in-ear monitors that would work much better than my ears. Yours in poverty, listener Bob. (laughs) (laughs) He knows where he's at. That made me laugh. (laughs) Yeah. That's all Bob's words there. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's always nice when you can get equipment that outperforms – you know, the current condition of your ears. Um, I didn't see this. It came out back in September, 2021. Cotus does some nice engineering. Uh, they've, they've done some really beautifully performing products and, uh, you know, for audio gear, it's fairly modestly priced. Most of their stuff. Um, I thought it was kind of fascinating. So if you have an iPhone 12 or newer, it will, this, this blue anodized DAC slash amp slash battery, you know, attaches via MagSafe and then you run a cable, uh, to the lightning connector on your phone. It'll work with non-iPhone 12 iPhones and Android devices too. It just doesn't, you know, doesn't do the magical magnetic sticking to the back. Um, they got an ESS, ES9281AC DAC, and then a Qualcomm Bluetooth chipset that does LDAC and Aptex HD. And for Bluetooth calling, it's got a dual microphones built into it, which to me is almost more interesting <laughs> than the headphone amp or DAC. Um, they say you can get eight hours of continuous music playback uh, with the built-in battery. I got to admit, listener Bob, you're right. It sounds way more elegant than hanging a USB dongle off your iPhone. But on the flip side, Apple's $9 lightning uh, or USB-C audio adapter does a pretty good job of driving most earbuds and your not-so-power-hungry headphones. Um uh, that $9 dongle does not have dual microphones for Bluetooth calling uh, or LDAC or Aptex HD or, you know, a fancy DAC. But the price is right. Yeah. So, you know, this is a $200 uh, headphone app slash DAC. It's definitely in line with the, the price of a lot of the audiophile oriented, uh, well, you know, phone DACs, right? Uh, THX's Onyx is around that $200 price range or is $199 unless the price is down again. Oh, it's on sale for $150. By the way, Ooh. fantastic performance out of that THX Onyx portable DAC. Um, of course, if you use a case, the cool MagSafe stuff will not work. Uh, I say that as I'm looking down at my heavily armored iPhone because the only way I can keep my iPhones in one piece is if I wrap a gigantic armored case around them. <laughs> I'm all about a good case for a phone. It will be yeah. dropped at some point. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh. Um, yeah, I would actually really like to see how those mics do uh, and how well it all integrates with the uh, iPhone operating system. But yeah, thanks for the heads up. Um, that looks really interesting, listener Bob. And it also got me digging into Codis's website and seeing what else they have out lately. And we'll talk about that sometime in the future. Indeed. Hey, I was checking out Mr. Vincent Teo at HDTV Test on the YouTube, and he somehow got his hands on the Sony A95K, the QD OLED. I am not sure if this was received directly from Sony. It appears to be in a retail box. Maybe it's already released in Europe, and it's a couple more weeks here in the U.S. But either way, he did the unboxing and the initial measurements 
Uh, this is the TV that will feature the addition of a heat dissipation layer, a little layer of metal of some kind, to provide some extra protection against potential burn-in. And he actually demonstrates this with a 10% window in HDR mode, where on the regular Samsung, the S95B, uh, and with the Sony side-by-side, -side, when the 10% window went away, you could still see some of the image still on the Samsung screen, and it cleared up much quicker on the Sony screen. So while these are very initial tests, uh, it is just interesting. The brightness measurements on the A95K were a little bit lower than the Samsung S95B, but apparently these TVs also go through an initial break-in period, and he's giving it at least 100 hours before he makes any concrete assessments and he's already run through one of the TV's screen refresh mode that typically will run automatically every say 500 to a thousand hours uh, this he actually initiated right out of the gate just to get the TV aged a little more quickly just so it could settle down into what it's going to do over the long term to provide an accurate assessment one difference between that Samsung S95B QD OLED and Sony's A95K version of it is that Sony's gonna have Dolby Vision support. It will be compatible on a QD OLED screen, and that excites me, although Dolby Vision game mode support seems to be missing for the time being, and that's really my only, if I had one critique of Sony panels, is that perhaps they are not the best for the hardcore gamers out there, or somebody buying this primarily for epic game support. It always seems like you're waiting on either a variable refresh rate or some other key feature that it eventually probably will come, but it just seems to take months before they actually drop it and get it to you. And on my tour of the YouTube last week, I saw Linus of Linus Tech Tips setting up his new home theater. And this incorporates the Epson LS12000. And this front projector is... It was impressive in the initial demo, although that was a pretty cringe-worthy unboxing at the time. This time around, they have it set up in the room with the screen in a light-controlled environment, and this thing was stunningly bright even at the 50% brightness level. It just reminds me of just how good projection can be nowadays. In a light-controlled environment like that, a good projector can really mimic the best qualities of any large format display, typically at a cost that's, you know, pretty affordable or just unobtainable, really, with if you consider trying to purchase, say, a 120 inch LCD or something like that, or even a <laughs> even a 90 inch LCD. Uh, this is where projectors suddenly become value oriented, even at right. the five to six thousand dollar price point for the Epson LS 12000. That still, though, I'm just like, damn, it's a nice looking setup. He also gets into some of the speaker installation as well for the home theater room, and I found some of that to be pretty amusing as well. <laughs> I would say, though, at one point, they were doing the auto calibration of the speakers, and the way they were using that calibration mic was just like, ah, uh, it wasn't ideal. I'll just, I'll leave it at that. I'll put a link to the video. <laughs> Do check it out. <laughs> Let's 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 just point this out. You should not put your calibration microphone 
on the couch cushions where your butt goes because your speakers, your ears, not your speakers, your speakers hopefully aren't in your butt and your ears should not be in your butt. Uh, and the microphone should not be put where your butt goes. Um, ideally, the microphone should be at about ear level. And generally speaking, it should be pointed vertically. It's a little mic on a stick. Most of the mics actually have a little screw-in bottom threaded spot where you can screw them onto a tripod and you basically adjust the tripod so it's about ear level it's fine to put the tripod on the couch um, but you don't want to put the mic directly on the couch because uh, unless you have an incredibly tall back on your couch um, usually you're at ear level right there's an open shot from the back of your head and your ears to the rear speakers and if you put the microphone down on the cushions right not only are the cushions absorbing the high frequency from the front because they're a couple inches off that the back of the couch is blocking the direct line from the rear speakers you know to it's just elevate the microphone if you don't have a tripod you know, stack some boxes, do something to get that microphone up at ear level. Otherwise, you're going to really do some odd things to the levels. Uh, totally. <laughs> coming out of your AVR. At one point, they ended up putting the microphone on the top of the headrest of one of the seats in the prime position. That's, That's better. better. Yeah. But it's still not ideal. You really want that yeah. just not being influenced by something that close when right. typically your head is really what you're trying to mimic and the location yeah. of it within the room. Yeah, because the couch absorbs high frequencies too. Totally. And I've come across folks doing multiple calibration measurements, even with a tripod, mm -hmm. where they become rather confused about, not confused, but concerned that it has to be done like in a perfectly straight line with all three positions. Mm -mm. It's not that detailed in terms of the actual setup you need to go through. It's more about just having it in the optimal location for approximately where your head is. And then for each right. seat, it, it isn't about doing a straight line with three measurements and things like that. It's more about just following the directions and having that yeah. mic in the best spot possible and going from there. Yeah, I will leave everyone to take a look at the subwoofer setup they ended up doing. That provided some, <laughs> what I could only assume the folks over at Audioholics would be probably gnashing their teeth during that moment of the video. But hey, for me, it was just seeing that projector in action. That's really where I was just loving it. And it makes me wanna get some eyes on time with this particular unit, given how bright it can be. Uh, especially if you have a well light controlled room. There's also another Linus video that where they were dealing with some firmware updates for some smart light switches that were recently installed in his home. Bottom line on that video, support companies that support their users and owners of their products. And also, it, it apparently, DIY home automation can be a bit of a mess sometimes, and it's uh, <laughs> not the easiest project necessarily. Also, I brought up, uh, I think last week or the week before that I had calibrated a 2013 Panasonic ST60 Plasma that had about 37, 3800 hours on it. I later realized how little use that actually is compared to many TVs of a similar vintage. I mean, my 2019 LG OLED right now has about 1650 hours on it, and that's only a couple years old at this point. Clearly, I was looking at a a gently used uh, 2013 yeah. plasma, and that's that's like why it still looked as good as it did. <laughs> yeah, that's eight hours a week for approximately you know eight hours a week, 52 weeks a year for eight and a half years. That's very light use. I went and perused AVS forums to see what other Panasonic owners were talking about 
recently, and it turns out most of them are rolling like 20,000 plus hours on a TV that old if it's your primary Whoa. display. And that seems reasonable, especially considering it's been, what, seven, eight, nine years old now. Mm -hmm. The time adds up. I'm actually kind of surprised I have, quote unquote, 1600 hours on my OLED. It is typically not used as an always on device. I only turn it on when I need it and I turn it right back off. And I'm generally not sitting in front of it as long as I am, say, like my computer monitors. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out how I rack the amount of hours on the screen per day on my iPhone, despite the fact it must be on in my pocket. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> wow. My poor Pixel 3 is an OLED device, and it definitely has significant burn-in, especially in the top status bar where you have things like your battery Ouch. level. Yeah, You know what? I love dark themes on phones, but you're mm-hmm. often left with no choice, but blindingly white icons on that black background. And that's like the worst case scenario for an OLED screen and why phone manufacturers don't have some mitigation for that or some way to manage maybe doing a darker gray or changing the color of gray or shifting those icons just slightly. If anything, smear out the artifact that's going to occur rather than just make it a hard, wow, hey, there's my uh, Wi-Fi signal meter, there's my battery level and there's a (laughs) clock corner and anyway. There's a lot they could be doing on mobile devices that I don't see happening, and it surprises me a little bit. I imagine they have no interest in fixing that because then it's something that would prompt you to go buy a brand new product, (laughs) which I will be doing later this year. But anyway, there you have it. I love uh, my quick shout out to (laughs) you do love your Pixel 3. A quick shout out. my wife and I finished watching Hacks, which is on HBO Max, which is a Max slash Cinemax original. Um, it's so good. It's Ooh. incredibly well written. Um, Gene Smart, uh, Hannah Einbinder about uh, an older comedian and a younger me- comedian. And it is a fascinating story and it is magnificently written. Uh, just read the description. If it's your kind of thing, you should enjoy the snot out of it because the writing on it is tight. And... Uh, it's nice when the writing is tight and the acting is phenomenal and the cast is great. And uh, I'll just leave that right there. Not bad. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to wrap up episode 184 of AV Excel. If you got a question, do us a favor, email us at avxcel.com or tweet at Robert Heron or at Patrick Norton or even at AV Excel if you're on the Twitters. If you're not, do us a favor and email us. Like I said before, ask at AVXL. And uh, yeah. Be careful moving your television. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Still thinking about that. Just, yeah, I, I'll stop now. You were dealing with a larger screen, too. That's the thing. It becomes more challenging the bigger it is, and especially if you have to go any distance with it. I'm also used to a vastly larger vehicle. <laughs> yes. Hey, at least you didn't duct tape it to the roof. Um, well if it was in the box and the room is relatively no stop I'm going to stop right now alright everybody I'm Patrick Norton I am Robert Heron we'll catch you next week on AVXL